Yo, my friend, hello, and welcome to the Pixelist. How are you doing today, man? Bro, we got a lot to talk about. I know, I know. We got a lot to talk about, but I'm know. doing good. I'm, I'm good. Glad to hear it. I, I too, have been waiting to talk to you about this episode. Can't wait to dive in. But yeah, like I said, we're the Pixelist. That's my boy, Blake. I'm Will. And uh, we're here to talk to you about all things nerdy that we enjoy. And uh, today that actually is Critical Role Campaign 3, Episode 3. Um, Which it was a like, banger, bro. <laughs> real quick, sidebar. Like, what's the what's the uh, the acronym nation? Uh, like, are we saying C3E3 or... Like what's like the standard out there? Yeah, right I've now? seen I've seen C three and I've also seen C R three. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, just pick your yeah, poison, I guess. Just keep throwing out versions and see what sticks. Yeah, I like. Yeah, the... I, didn't mean, I didn't mean to jump in there and just totally no. rabbit trail us. <laughs> no, you're fine. <laughs> uh, well C three E three has a nice ring to it, at least for specifically this episode, since it's you know like yeah rhyming. So let's go with that for now, I guess. <laughs> All right. Yeah. But yeah, uh, banger. Uh, like. And coincidentally, the one episode so far that my wife has stayed up all night for, she's usually in bed Ooh. at like a lot earlier. And uh, like by the end of it, we were both just like almost standing like, <laughs> but yeah, the the ending sequence especially was crazy. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll get to that. But uh, first things first, uh, if you're unfamiliar with us, we like to do a quick recap of the episode before we dive into our proper discussion and theory crafting and you know deep dive um so yeah uh i guess we could just jump into that now unless there's something else you wanted to tap into. well if you're before. if you're watching just the recap and you want to see our full thoughts um just down in the episode description you'll see the link mm -hmm. to this whole episode uh, everyone else who's here for the whole conversation it's glad to have you and thanks so much for commenting telling us what you think uh, we love engaging with you we after do. the fact as well so yeah let's talk about what happened on this week's episode of Critical Role C3 E3. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> That's right. Alrighty. Um, well, I'll start us off. So uh the episode picked off right, picked up right where we left off last time with Orum kind of hilariously prodding around in the dark of this yeah. uh warehouse <laughs> at Prudage Textiles and everyone kind of messing with them for the little Halloween vibes. Uh, but yeah, so we pick up with him still kind of looking around here. Meanwhile, we've got two sets of the party at the front of the warehouse and at the back of the warehouse kind of waiting for what's next. And um, at the front of the warehouse, we have um, Bertrand and Imogen and Dorian and Danas, who has just exited the Bertrand and Imogen are like, wait, she looks fishy. We got to follow her. So they dart off. Dorian's like, I'm not leaving Orem. So he stays. Um so we'll start with this kind of chase sequence that we have here. So Imogen and Bertrand are trying to stealthily follow Danas uh, through the city as she's kind of darting to and fro. And um, they split up to be a little less conspicuous, Bertrand and Imogen. And uh, unfortunately, Danas spots Imogen and walks mm -hmm. up to her. And um, I don't think there was of... a single good role in this entire process, by the way. <laughs> no, <they're... laughs> it was not surprising that she was caught. Yeah, she was not being very stealthy. Uh, so Danas approaches her and is like, you know, uh, we're closed. You know, what are you doing? And uh, Imogen does make a deception check and is basically able to successfully kind of get Danas off of her. And she's just saying, oh, you know, I, I just happen to be here. And um, she picks up that Danas is acting pretty um, 
kind of sketchy, anxious, nervous. So Imogen, skittish, yeah. yeah, skittish. Thank you. Uh, Imogen's like, Hey, do you need any help? You want me to walk with you? And she's like, no, no, I'm fine. Like, you know, I'll, I'll see you later if you're going to, you know, come back to the warehouse or whatever. Um, so they split ways. And at this point, Imogen's, uh, telepathically communicating with Bertrand and is like, Hey, like she's seen me. So like, I'm going to back off. You need to be the one to like, keep a tail on her now. And, um, <laughs> Bertrand is kind of hilariously throughout this whole sequence. Like since Imogen told him to telepathically communicate with her while they're doing this, he's like giving her every single direction he takes. I'm like, I'm taking a left. I'm taking a right. Um, it's pretty funny, but so he continues to follow her and she ultimately darts into the weary way tavern. Um, and he follows her inside. Um, Imogen does not come inside because she's still worried that there might be a little, might be a little too obvious if Danas sees her again. So Imogen kind of goes around back, makes sure Danas didn't like slip out that way, but she doesn't see her. And, um, Bertrand actually doesn't see her inside the tavern either. So he's like, Hey, just come inside. We got to figure out what we're doing here. Um, so Imogen makes her way inside. They begin to talk a little bit. They're like, well, I guess we could go back to the warehouse. Uh, since we kind of lost the lead. But at that moment, Bertrand actually does spy someone that looks like Danas across the tavern. He's like, wait, you know, I think I see her. And so Imogen and Bertrand are trying to be inconspicuous again as they try to get closer, but they kind of lose track of her. Flail their arms like a windmill. <laughs> yeah. They, they think like, she might be invisible. Yeah, and they're like, there's maybe a, we can might be invisible. So just like, yeah. see if you can Very, find her. Yeah, this is pretty much a train wreck when it comes <laughs> to like subtlety and deception. Yes. I mean, it's, it was pretty funny to they watch. They are crashing and burning. Yeah. Um, but so they ultimately lose track of her and they decide, well, okay, we know she came here, but we don't, we have no leads at this point. So let's head back to the warehouse, kind of tell everybody else what's up and what we found here. Um, so meanwhile, back at the warehouse, uh, everyone, everyone else has been debating, uh, what they should do because they haven't heard from Orem. Uh, so Lodna decides to go check the, the full frontal crew and she finds Dorian who's now by himself since Bertrand and Imogen left. And she's like, he fills her in on what happened. And she's like, well, just come back to the back with us. You shouldn't be alone. And um, they begin, you know, debating and plotting for like an hour in real time on what to do. Uh, and ultimately, they're like, let's just message Orem and tell him to open the door for us. So yeah. and what's funny about this, too, is my wife at this point was like, so like, what are they doing? And like right <laughs> at that point in game, fresh cut grass and Laudan are like, what? what are we doing exactly? Yeah. Like, what is our plan? And I was like, yeah, see, like, I'm not the only one who has no idea what's going on here. Again, yeah, that's, it's a very critical role to just be stuck in a planning <laughs> phase for forever. But so, yeah, they ultimately are like, oh, wait, we can message Orem. So Laudna, message Orem, tell him to open the door for us. And so he tries the back door, but again, it is sealed shut. So he cannot open that. So they're like, all right, front door. Um, and he goes and tries to open the front door, but he can't do it from his side. Uh, so he's like, y'all are going to have to open it from your side. Um, and so Ladna, with a combination of her just trying to brute strength it and then ultimately just lockpicking it, is able to get the front door open and they go inside. And around about now is when um, Bertrand and Imogen return from the weary way in and basically everyone gets caught up to speed. Um, Bertrand says, you know, I'll wait outside. Uh, keep an eye out if you guys all, you know, want to go in and investigate. So he does that. Everyone goes in. They're they're looking around. Uh, it is pitch black in there, but uh, Dorian has his Moon Touch scimitar, which kind of gives some light. But then Fern ultimately casts. I think it's Fern, um, dancing lights, which illuminates everything. Imogen. 
Oh, Sam yeah, Jin. Okay, yeah, that yeah. makes more sense. Uh, but so Orm ultimately finds like a locked office, and he slices it open, and they go inside and do some investigating there, and they are ultimately able to find some papers that detail like the business and the ledger of this warehouse, and um, with some keen investigation, they're able to discern that there has been some adjustments made here. Some someone has like scribbled over numbers and replaced them with other numbers to seemingly uh, mask the fact that there's been some theft happening. Right. Um, and after some handwriting uh, comparison, they're able to determine that this is Danas who has been altering these uh, documents. So they're like, all right, should we take this to Estoros or you know, do we need to investigate further? And they ultimately decide that let's not take this to him yet. Let's see if we can find out more from Danas before we, before we go talk to Estoros. Um, so they, they see if I can, they can find her address, but they can't. And so the only lead they have is the Weird Way Tavern. Uh, so the group decides to head back there. And um, when they arrive, it's busy tavern. Uh, Dorian decides to go uh, bribe the musicians since he's one himself, you know, thinking he could get in with them and finds out through them that they have seen someone that matches Danas' description walk upstairs uh, a few minutes right. prior. So uh, most of the group heads upstairs. Uh, Bertrand stays down to keep watch. Um, and FCG decides to use his ability to detect thoughts upstairs to be able to probe in through these closed doors. It's basically a long hallway with a bunch of doors. Right. Um, so he's going to detect thoughts to see if he can hear, uh, you know, who's in here. Maybe maybe he can find Danas that way. Uh, so he does just that. And there is one room that pings very loudly for him. There's about nine or ten thinking creatures on the other side of the door, one of which he recognizes uh, to be Danas. So he's like, hey, I think they're in here. And uh, so Orem kind of gets up close to the door and listens to see what he can he can hear. And um, he hears some hushed whisper, whispers, whispers, uh, and it's kind of like an ominous sounding conversation. They're basically scolding Danas for being like, oh, so you've messed up. Like people are on to us. And right. uh, the conversation ultimately ends with, well, your services are no longer required. Um, seemingly like a, a threat and a, you know, they're about to take Danas out. So Orm's like, we got to get in here. And so Orem, uh, Ashton, <laughs> they all just start trying to bust down the yeah. door uh fern knocks <laughs> yeah fern's fern like knocks says housekeeping yeah yeah <laughs> the, the bad rolls continue because they cannot seem to get through this simple door <laughs> yeah doors if you've watched the previous campaigns doors are like the big bad for all of critical roles <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> campaigns <laughs> okay so yeah so they yeah. bust through the door <laughs> trying to help danas from this you know seemingly dire situation and um they bust through and, and immediately they don't see anything it's like weirdly um an absent they don't see Danas, they don't see anyone else it's just dark uh so they kind of probe in a little bit further and from the far corner they kind of see this like sallow dwarf like kind of emerge uh, from the far corner and he's like oh you know i wasn't expecting um more visitors and right. so basically boom we're rolling initiative and uh everyone begins to kind of attack this mysterious dwarf um, who's got like this rapier and dagger and he's proving pretty formidable. He actually like lays out some damage on Orem. And uh, as everyone's attacking him, he is eventually is like, you know, come my children. And all of a sudden everyone hears like this skittering and these uh, little creatures, I think described as creepers 
kind of emerge shade, shade creepers shade creepers thank you yeah and they said they were kind of like almost goblin-esque sort of like the vermin of of uh Jusar. yes and, he, and they were described as like they have these claws and leathery faces with uh no noses and they're just crawling out from like under the closet under the bed like out of the shadows and i think there's nine in total and so they all begin attacking the party as well so basically there's this big combat going on um they're trying to take out the creepers. They're trying to deal with the dwarf. Um, but at one point, the dwarf casts um, this like magical darkness. And uh, the room gets even darker. The lights dim. And he is kind of fully obfuscated in um, this supernatural darkness. Um, and most of our party cannot see, except Fern. She turns into a snake with her wild shape, who has blind sight. So she's kind of probing in there, trying to find him while everyone else is kind of blindly attacking or trying to attack the creepers that they can see. And um, ultimately, uh, the dwarf has disappeared. Fern, even with her snake sight, is unable to find him. So the party um, manages to take out the rest of the creepers. But um, like I mentioned, Bertrand was downstairs uh, keeping watch. When he heard this ruckus going on, he ran up. So he runs up during the middle of this and like i said there's this magical darkness so he runs in and attacks and <laughs> accidentally attacks dorian who then just you know backhands yeah. him <laughs> in retribution uh, i love how matt matt said like even like the creepers and everyone like was like oh <laughs> you know like yeah. this out of character moment of like the slap hurt around the world <laughs> yeah it was great and then i think i think travis even gave him advantage on it because like his first role was bad he's like no 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 i give you advantage and yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he backhands him but uh anyway so the party finishes off all the remaining creepers and um they're unable to find this dwarf uh but combat has seemingly ended and they kind of just find themselves sitting in this hotel room and mm -hmm. uh you want to take it from there yeah, yeah, sure. And it, great job, by the way. I mean, the this was definitely a formidable opponent and like the four attacks on Orem has been kind of like a understandable tank, I guess, of the group. Yeah. Getting basically downed. I mean, that was pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the fight initiative ends. Um, Imogen actually goes into the bedroom on the backside of the suite and finds a balcony. She looks out, doesn't see anybody out in the back alley. And through some investigation, she does find this under like a dresser, like a, a nightstand, this um, piece of wood that's kind of uh, creeping out or flanked out a little bit. And she peels it back and finds this really small, tiny hole and even asks Orem like, hey, do you think you could fit down there? And they're like, uh, like maybe now's not the right time. Um, and actually, as they continue to look, uh, the darkness is still there, but subsiding. They do find what feels like a boot under the main um table in the in the in the room they first came in yeah and they find out that this is danis who is underneath it and dead um and fresh cut grass tries to cast spare the dying but it's too late um, danis has been uh her throat's been slit literally from ear to ear and um she is she's dead dead and so then they're talking about like what do we do and they can actually hear footsteps coming up um uh, down the hallway and they start to panic realizing like oh like we've caused a large commotion like wh what do we do yeah so they all start talking about like let's jump off the balcony like let's just get out of here and they're like people saw us here like we can't just like leave a body or else we're gonna have like there's gonna be an implication about us you know being involved in this and so um the two it turns out they're like the bodyguards of the place they knock on the door 
and Imogen um, like undoes a button of her blouse and like grabs Dorian and is like, sorry, are we being noisy? <laughs> and uh, they're like, uh, yeah, if you'll keep it down. <laughs> but basically convinces them that they were just fooling around basically. Yeah. So they lose them. Party talks some more and they're like, okay, let's, we have, we at least have enough to take to Esteros. And um, in kind of a uh, dark humor-esque way, um, Ashton wraps up um, Dennis and then ties the wrapping, maybe it's a gnome, ties the wrapping to his glass hammer, almost like a hobo stick. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of like, uh, uh yeah. but very clever. And uh, so they basically go out the balcony uh, or they leave and they make their way back to uh, Esteros's place. Uh, with the ledger in hand and, and with Danis's, uh body. So they get there and it's actually the atmosphere. Um, they're informed that Estros is in the dining hall and the atmosphere is very different than the first time they came here. Um, there's this warm uh, vibe in the place. It's still, it's still not well lit, but there's like this fruity baked smell that's like <laughs> permeated the entire place. And they go in into the dining hall to see basically um, a, a, place mat or like a, a serving mat for each of them placed out and they begin to tell Estoros about what they found they put the body on the table and uh he's very perplexed by this especially especially the description of the dwarf that they encountered um and the broomstone it really throws him he's like okay this actually doesn't sound like the ivory syndicate which is what i was expecting originally and this character that you're describing doesn't match anyone that i would come to understand yeah but still the the mission has been mostly successful they've stopped the person who was basically stealing from him and so he's like well let's at least celebrate and he leaves and comes back with this um very ugly baked uh <laughs> carrot cake and everyone's kind of like oh like did your you know head of the house make this and he's like no i baked it i made it yeah, and he's very proud. This is this I really enjoyed this portrayal of Esteros because he's totally different. Me too. He's not like the brooding, dark, mysterious. He's like this very um, amicable, um, friendly, warm, and very proud of his baking skills. By the way, and so he, you know, everyone has a slice, and they're like, "Hey, actually, it tastes pretty good." And he basically says, "You know, we don't need Danis's family to know about sort of her underdealings, but." Um, definitely you've all been successful. And so they, they drop all the gold in front of them and says, you know, we can formally work together now, like you've proven your worth and, um, you know, we'll get a formal contract written up in the morning, uh, and does ask them by the way, like, what is your party's name? And, you know, as we've seen in previous content, um, they can't really figure out what they want to call it. Yeah. But so they eat and they talk and they socialize and a couple of quick, interesting details from this converse, this conversation is they do ask Esteros more about his backstory. And he basically says that for 20 plus years, he was a mercenary in Marquette. He was part of a group called the Bloody Hilt and he made a name for himself. He was actually very good at it until he came across a person who became essentially a best friend to him. Uh, lady, uh, Mistress Prudage. Is that yeah. right? The yeah. former former owner of the house who we had found out had had basically left everything to him when she passed and said that he basically became a bodyguard for her, was like a best friend to her. And then she basically died of natural causes, which, by the way, Ladna does an insight check and we get another table whisper. Whisper. 
something gets communicated between Matt and Marisha, which uh, Laudna then says after the fact, hmm, how tragic, yeah. almost sarcastically. So something more is happening there. Um, we also get another detail of Fresh Cut Grass asking about his Estros's former adventures and saying, mm -hmm. you know, have you heard of anything about um, a one-eyed monster um, who may have been responsible for, you know, all of my friends being dead? And despite this questioning, uh, they really don't land on anything. Estros says, you know, I've heard of Cyclopses, but really nothing that you're referring to. Right. I mean, there's plenty of creatures that could have been responsible for that. Um, anyway, all this being said, Bertrand's incredibly excited about this contract. He's like, yeah. yes, like finally, like I'm, I'm, I'm back, back baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it, even Estros in seeing him kind of brag and gloat a little bit, even has a moment of like, um, yeah, like good job, Bertrand, like well done. All this to say the party decides, um, you know, we'll meet back in the morning. They head out, they go to the spire by fire. Uh, there's a little bit of small talk and ultimately the party celebrates. Bertrand buys everyone around. He even buys drinks for other patrons in the bar. Yeah. And uh, one by one, the party decides to call it a night. And so Ashton and Fresh Cut Grass make their way back to the Crook House. Um, was the was the apartment owner, was it Milo? Is that right? I don't, I can't, he's, the Milo is the, the, their name from the Crook House. I don't, I don't yeah, really know if he's like the landlord or what, but. Right, right. So Ashton actually goes to Milo's room and hands Milo the gold that, that he acquired earlier and says basically, hey, find out everything you can on, uh, Lord Estros. Mm. Um, and he actually also has Fresh Cuts Grass Cut, who we didn't mention it earlier, but the two of them were talking and, uh, uh, Ashton admits that the reason he's so interested in acquiring gold is because he has some very sizable debts against him right, that he just wants you. to be free of. I forgot to mention that. So Milo gives some of the gold back to him and says, I only need just a little bit, but I will find out everything I can find out about Lord Esteros. Uh, Lord Esteros. Um, meanwhile, uh, Orem and Fern call tonight. Orem turns to Dorian and basically says, hey, make sure the old man makes it back to his room in one piece. Um, and Dorian's like, yeah, of course. And so it's basically just left to Dorian and Bertrand. And Bertrand, uh, it's very, uh, this whole conversation, if you've watched any movie ever, you're kind of like, this is very, I got some bad vibes happening here because Bertrand is like talking about the joy of being young and being like, you know, don't take it, don't take it for granted right. uh, to Dorian saying like, you know, I'm going to stay up, up, I'm going to stay up all night and see the sunrise. I haven't done that in years. And it, it, Travis acted this very well. I mean, it's just, yeah. you can definitely feel the positive energy from Bertrand. And um, meanwhile, Imogen and Lana have head ba headed back to the windowed wall, which, which is where they're going to meet in the morning. And of course, Bertrand being the charlatan that he is, is like, yeah, of course I know where that is. And yeah. so when it's just Dorian and Bertrand, uh, Bertrand's like, well, I'm going to head out and try to find the windowed wall because I have no idea where it is. <laughs> and he also says, I have no idea where this library, the Starpoint Conservatory is either. Yeah. Dorian's like, are you sure, like, going out alone? And he's like, no, yeah, I'm sure. I want to, um, like, let an old man, you know, have his walk. Yeah. And he's like, okay. So Bertrand pieces out, walks off by himself, and also, like, starts throwing money out to other patrons, like, very excited about uh, this contract. And so as he's walking, um, we cut back to Imogen, who is asleep, and she's having this dream sequence of, it seems to be maybe her home, her original home. It's this lush yeah, pasture. Like uh, it's 
her horse is there named Flora, I think is what the name was. Yeah. She's feeding the horse. She has like her cottage there and um, had kind of like a, a cowboy-esque vibe. Um, <laughs> but while that dream is happening, Bertrand is walking and he decides to relieve himself in an alleyway. As this happens, a figure steps into the alleyway and basically says, let's have a conversation deeper, deeper in. And he says, no, I don't, I don't think I will. And then the person basically stabs him and uh, you realize it is the dwarf from earlier and um, does a couple of attacks on him and just pushes the rapier through him. Bertrand falls back. Um, The figure steps over him and says, you know, ah, you know, Sir Bertrand Bell uh, and says good night to him. And meanwhile, the set turns bright red uh, it's back in Imogen's dream sequence, and Matt begins to describe this tempestuous storm that is rushing in on this pasture. And um, Imogen turns to run back to her cottage. You know, Flora scampers off, and as she makes it to her cottage and swings open the door, she looks back and she's uh, sees a old refined man, Bertrand, uh, walking face first into the storm. And that is where the episode ends. And that's what happened Oof. in this week's Critical Role. Hell of a ending sequence. Oh my gosh, man. I, yeah, I know. I just, it's, it's, it's wild and crazy. So Oof. let's, let's talk, yeah. man. I just, you know, you and I, we tried to not text too much just yeah. to get like an authentic experience on the podcast. But I, I mean, I was definitely texting you like, Bro, bro, what? Yeah, I, I think I just tweeted from our Pixels account. I just tweeted bruh, and I got like twelve <laughs> likes right when it, uh, right when that happened. Oh my gosh, man! Oh my gosh. Well, I, maybe that's a good starting point. Is and I'm just typing because I want to pull up Matt's tweet about it. Um, yeah, yeah, I was gonna bring that up too. Yeah, so I think this is a great starting point. There, the the fate of Bertrand Bell. Um. Is he dead? Is he alive? Uh, my wife, who had been like laying down, kind of half sleepily watching. I mean, she was up, like, <laughs> you know, we, I mean, we were just so into it. Yeah. But um, you and I had talked about it was a bit strange that Bertrand had came on the scene as a level five character compared to everyone's level three character. Right. We talked about the possibility of maybe this being a temporary, it definitely had like a quest giver vibe. Yeah. And how maybe his character's coming later. Um, and it seems to be that is the case. And if we read Matt's tweet, he basically says, Travis wanted to join this campaign a little bit down the road, kind of like what you see in traditional, um, Japanese RPGs, but it led to this issue where I didn't want Travis to be absent from the table. I wanted him there from the start. And so when given the option to create a character, he was inspired to bring Sir Bertrand Bell back. And we discussed the means of his exit. Travis proposed the grim end but agreed he would not know how or when. And as such, we anchored Bertrand into the story and we watched where things went. Do not fret. Travis will return in the near future with his true campaign three character. And it's going to be a blast to see the paths collide. Seemingly confirming that this is the end of Sir Bertrand Bell. Yeah. Rest in peace, Daddy B. Such a good character. Yeah. Travis I didn't see it. campaign one, so I don't know how similar he was, but um even like the the um 
I think of like how an old person like takes these deep raspy breaths, like <laughs> as they kind of run out of energy. Yeah. And he just like mastered, he mastered it. He was so good at it. So no, I, he yeah. grew on me very quickly. So I'm very sad to see him gone. Yeah. Uh, Travis is, uh, I, I love all of the cast, but Travis has always been one of my favorites. He's such a great actor and he knows how to really like hit those character moments. And we saw that out in full force with him as Bertrand. Um, yeah, I'm going to miss him too. I, that's what I was seeing from like all the tweets and stuff last night during the episode. Everyone was like, no, like, I, you know, we kind of thought this might be coming, but I didn't expect to be hurt this bad. I, I, so what I thought was going to happen was I thought maybe, cause I mean, the, they were laying it on pretty thick. I thought in the sense of, right. He was celebrating. He was, Death it was almost flags. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've never thought of it that way. That's actually a perfect way to put it. It's it was like these little breadcrumbs that were like it was too optimistic in the sense of like you're feeling so wholesome for him of like and I I, I don't know his history with campaign one, but I have the impression of like was very instrumental at some point and has kind of become like this washed up older gentleman sort of vying for like those former days of glory. Yeah. I don't know how accurate that is. Um, so to see him like, yes, like I've, I'm back. Yeah, I yeah. made it back. And then he's paying for drinks. He's giving money out to people. He's like, you know, giving old sage advice. Yeah. I'm thinking, I'm thinking like every, every red flag is happening. You know, my spidey sense is like, this person is dying, but I thought it was like, he was going to die in a sleep. Yeah. Like he was going to go back to bed and just they'd find him like peacefully gone in the morning. Right. Um, but then he got murdered. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought it was awesome. Like a, a great moment, especially uh, intertwining it with Imogen's dream, which I, I want to unpack that a little bit. But I kind of, before we do that, I kind of want to yeah. take a step back to kind of the meta of what happened here. Cause, um, I know some people were upset by this because it kind of is D and D is dice rolls and you don't know what's going to happen. And this in a way was obviously planned, right? Like, um, you know, it wasn't just the fate of the dice and the fate of the decisions that led, led to his death. He was basically going to die from mm -hmm. page one. Right. And I know some people are upset with that because that in, in, to them, you know, that's not D and D. Um, I don't see it that way. I think that um, this was just a really cool, creative, and fun way to do something that was going to happen. Like, like ba Matt basically covered it in in his tweets that you read. But, you know, Travis's character, he wanted it for, you know, we don't know the reasons. Probably ties into his backstory or whatever. But he wanted his character to come in later. So instead of just, you know, Travis being absent in the first however many episodes they decided to do this fun way of bringing the original party right. together like yeah. basically view bertrand as an npc but just instead of matt playing him he allowed travis to play that character right um, and this this isn't new like they've critical roles done a few things like this before in previous campaigns not exactly the same but sometimes like real life circumstances cause call for certain pieces of the game to act out a certain way um without getting into any spoilers uh, for example, in campaign one and two, Ashley missed a lot of the time because she is a talented actress and she was working on, you know, blind spot or whatever else. So at times the story had to call for her character to mysteriously like be absent all of the sudden. And um, so sometimes that's just 
that's just things you have to deal with as you know yeah a D game I, um, I, part of me i think like two things i would say if someone's frustrated by this i would say you know it just enjoy the enjoy the ride just enjoy the journey you know and the second thing is um i definitely would agree with you like this kind of thing i don't even think it's I, don't, I think it's even cutting it short to say like it's not uncommon in, in critical role. I don't think it's particularly uncommon in D and D in general. Like it wouldn't. It, there's plenty of times where a player communicates as a sidebar to their DM, "Hey, maybe I'm not having fun with this character anymore. Hey, I want to introduce a new character." Um, and this wasn't necessarily what was happening with Travis, but it's not uncommon for the player to communicate to their dungeon master, "Hey, this is this is kind of what I envision," and then and then trusting the game master to play that out the way they want to. And so right. I, I guess for me, even in my low experience comparatively to people who've played for years with D and D, none of this felt unfamiliar or strange to me. Um, and so if, if people who are watching felt that way or had a visceral reaction to it, um, you know, I'd just say, Hey, just, <laughs> just enjoy it. You know? Yeah. And I, while I, I I kind of understand where they're coming from, even though I'm not part of that camp, just in the sense of like, oh, you know, if it's if this is not the correct word to use, but I don't know what to use. But like if it's scripted, that kind of takes away from, sure, you know, the yeah. true magic of it. And I would say that this is this was just like one peg in the wheel. And it, it it's not Travis's real character. You know, I would I would right. say and I don't know this, but pretty much with a thousand percent confidence that like once his real character is there, like Travis nor any of the other players are going to have any meta knowledge of anything that's happening. This was just mm -hmm. like a in the bottle moment that, you know, needed to happen this way because Travis wanted to enter later. So I think it was just an actual really fun, creative way of bringing the party together that Travis got to be in on, you know? Yeah. It still hurts, though. It, it hurts. does still hurt because, yeah, hurt. Travis I mean, killed it, man. Yeah. I mean, I, having not seen the other campaigns or seen enough of the other campaigns, I don't know what it's like when a um, either a player character dies or an important character says goodbye, basically. But um, even though it was in uh, harsh circumstances of him being murdered, it was a nice him him being able to experience all the positive wholesome emotions yeah. that he was feeling i was i was happy for him which yeah. speaks to travis that this is a character that i've seen three episodes of and i'm like <laughs> empathizing like man I'm, I'm really happy for that guy yeah you know and seemingly even getting a nod from esteros of like yeah you know good for you yeah three episodes in and this was you know kind of an, a, a planned death in a way wait till you know 50 episodes in and an unexpected death happens that would gut you <laughs> you know yeah. Uh, yeah but um yeah, great, like, so awesome to see his, like, character journey kind of be fulfilled, and, you know, then it does get cut short, but at least he does have that kind of, like, crowning moment of reattaining that glory that he was has been chasing and has been putting up a veneer of having had, but now he actually does have it for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And, uh, again, yeah, not to, not to go into any spoilers, but since you mentioned it, uh, yeah, he basically was the same in Campaign 1, like, kind of this boastful... Um, you know charlatan in a way but uh and he was he was only part of one shots so he wasn't like a main character in campaign one they just was in one shots that took place during campaign one um but yeah like at least during those one shots he actually was like a successful mm -hmm. you know adventurer you could say so it was interesting to see that i guess over the last 20 years since then he maybe has fallen off so it was 
Yeah. It was it nice was, to see him get back. It would it was nice, you know, this for this guy who BSs so much. It was nice to have him form a, a, a friendship with Dorian and say, Hey, I just want to be honest. It's been really hard. You yeah. know, and you're just like, oh, finally like an honest moment from this guy. Um, real quick, I don't want to rabbit trail on this, but real quick question. His sword, the gambler's blade, I think. There was a yeah, a fight an action where he said, I want to wager, I want to wager three or something. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it was three gold, but other players were like, how does that work? And he said, he said, you know, you can basically gamble. And if things don't work out, there's consequences or something. Yeah. Just curious, like, what's the very quick, like, short answer on how his sword worked? So I don't remember off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure it was like, you know, he can wager like additions to his roles. So and I could be completely wrong. So y'all in the comments, please correct me. (laughs) It's been a minute. Uh but it's gonna for, put you on the spot for the most random <laughs> things from like one shots and but what like, was the name of the mother from the third characters yeah no, anyway uh, but to my understanding and again i have zero percent confidence in this answer but i'll i'll throw one out i think he could be like i want to wager a plus three meaning like you know you make your roll to hit and he'll get to add an additional three on that i think and like the penalty is like if it goes wrong, maybe he has like disadvantage, or maybe he's easier. Maybe okay. opponents have advantage on him. It's just okay, some yeah. like trade off in that way. Sure, you're sure. Okay, all right. Well, do you want to talk about Imogen's dream? Yeah. So, which was so oh yeah. My gosh, the so, way it tied in with him was so good. Yeah. So kind of what we were talking about. So obviously Travis and Matt had some sort of conversation. You know, Matt said that Travis wanted it to end grimly, but that's basically all Travis knew. So like Travis didn't know how Matt was going to kill Bertrand. Right. But obviously Travis knew some things like he maybe knew that I need to get my character alone or, you know, whatever the case may be. Travis obviously knew certain points to hit. What I'm wondering is what did Laura know? Did she know anything or, you know, is this, was this connecting to her dream just I, I I'm assuming Matt did this and no one else knew this was coming. I I think the connectiveness was we knew that he was heading to the windowed um windowed wall, windowed whale, windowed wall. Windowed wall, yeah. And so it seems like she has this this is how I interpret it. Is you know, she's mentioned in the earlier in the episode she doesn't like taverns and fresh cut grass asks about it. She says, Well, I just not that she doesn't like people, but gets uncomfortable. And we know from her previous um, detect thoughts-ish feat that she can hear people's voices, people's thoughts, and it becomes very overwhelming when she's in crowds. Right. And so the way I internalized this was maybe he was relatively nearby and her mm. psionic awareness sort of picks up that this is happening and he gets, you know, it, the way it gets demonstrated as him in the dream basically walking into the storm yeah okay that's interesting that's how i that's how i envision it Uh i mean i don't i don't actually know well i mean clearly clearly it was supposed to be him in the dream right we can oh yeah say that comfortably and to me walking into the storm was him dying like a like a metaphor for that right so i that's an interesting the proximity i wasn't thinking about that but that makes sense because he was going to find the windowed wall so maybe he was close and that's why (laughs) so proximity is a great explanation and one i had not thought of so i was trying to think of like what was their connection that he would appear in her dream yeah okay yeah i see what you're saying proximity is a feasible answer there so i like that yeah 
which which the other thing though I was curious about with her dream is and I've I saw enough of campaign 2 to see some early dream sequences if you can call it that or yeah. um with um Travis's character um and so I, I know this this happens. I haven't seen much substance there in terms of again past like maybe ten to twenty episodes of past campaigns. But two questions I have for you: mm-hmm. um, one, are these typically story points that imply like a larger narrative? Like, for example, her being back home and her horse in this massive storm is that foreshadowing of of something grander in the narrative? Or do these tend to be just like one-off random dreams? The second thing I want to ask you is in the previous campaigns, do, do any of the party members ever become like main protagonists, if that makes sense? Like is is Imogen being positioned as not the hero, mm. but like is she going to be the through her that most of the story develops? I know that's a really heavy question. You have no idea like what's going to happen, I but know what you mean. curious, like from, from past campaigns, like what could be happening here? Yeah. So to answer your first question about the dreams, I'd say they're definitely not random. Like that Matt paints a picture on purpose. Now that doesn't mean it's like, uh, it's the key to the next plot point that's going to happen, but <laughs> yeah, it definitely yeah, okay. is there for a purpose. It is, you know, a lot of times like a metaphor or foreshadowing or something. It, 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 it differs, but it's definitely not just like complete BS. Like there's definitely that scene was there for a reason. You know, I think there are clues and, and stuff to be gleaned from it. Um, but you know, that's not necessarily to say that it is like the key to the whole campaign type of thing. Um, and then as far as your protagonist thing, uh, the spotlight kind of shifts during the campaign. There's like, think of it as like everyone kind of has their own quests. Everyone kind of has their character journey they're going to go through. And so, you know, we might have an arc that is all about Imogen and it's about confronting whatever's going on with her. And, you know, we'll tackle that. And then maybe that gets resolved. And so now we're going to move on to Ashton with taking care of their debts and, you know, exploring that. So I'd say throughout the campaign, like different members of the party will become the protagonist as it were and then there definitely could be a case to be made for points of the campaign like in the past two campaigns that maybe one of the characters was kind of the protagonist if you want to throw that title on somebody but for the most yeah, part okay. it's a it's a shared thing the spotlight shifts yeah i mean makes sense um uh imogen you know it's funny i was gonna say imogen's a favorite of mine but every character like whenever they have they say anything do anything i'm like okay that's my favorite <laughs> you know <laughs> ashton's having these ashton's having these awesome moments where i'm like okay ashton's my favorite you know they're doing the stakeout and fern's like wait what are we doing again and it's like everyone laughs <laughs> like you know sort of her absent-mindedness of like really the chaotic nature um of her character you know and so it's it's every single one of these characters are so likable which i don't know if that's been the case in the past but i'm just um they're just so great at their craft of creating yeah. interesting, fun characters that you enjoy to watch. Yeah, agreed. And um, like I, I think we've mentioned before, I don't know, it's, it seems to me like everyone's on their A game, like firing off on all cylinders. Uh, I, I, Again, I love campaign one and, one and two, uh, but this one just, it, it feels like everyone's just really hitting right now. So uh, I agree. It's hard to it's hard to pinpoint a favorite, which just speaks to the, mm-hmm. the quality of everyone. 
I really love Laudna. Laudna is so fantastic. I mean, every line that Marisha delivers has so much energy behind it. Um, and it's it's always just well, it just pinpoints so well. Um, feels like we got confirmation that her character is, in fact, undead. Seemingly. Yeah. I so there's been a lot of discussion about this, even some discussion in our comment section about, you know, what exactly she is. Uh, a lot of people seem to think she's a hollowed one, which is like a a specific subset, which makes sense. And yeah, I think, I mean, we've obviously got a lot of flavor clues that have pointed that way, but then also this episode specifically, um, you know, Orem grabs her hand and he's like, what does it feel like? And right. she's like, it's like unnaturally cold. And so, yeah, I think that's, she's all but come out and explicitly said that you know she is mm. a hollowed one or, or whatever so i think it's pretty safe to say that um which i still want to know more like we we kind of talked about last episode with the the dorola whitestone connection you know was she killed during that coup who brought her back how right. long has she been since she's been resurrected or whatever you want to call it, if that is what happened. So, so many questions. And uh, I'm still, I'm still sticking with Pate being like the rat that was like entombed with her or something. I mean, I like it. I like so. it. <laughs> and uh, real quick on just your, your love for Ladna. I've seen that everywhere. It seems like I, I, for people that have explicitly said they've had a favorite, I feel like it's been Laudna everywhere. Like that's she's great. That's she's all fantastic. I see. Uh, which she is, and I'm I'm so happy. And uh, Wendelin actually commented on our last video something that I wanted to reiterate that like it's just great that Marisha's getting all this love because in past campaigns Marisha has gotten a lot of hate um, for stupid really? reasons, for various reasons. A lot of them being because people like dislike her characters in past campaigns and decisions they would make. So um, a lot of it is unfair criticism. Um, yeah, okay. So I'm really glad that she seems to be a fan favorite this time around. Um, yeah, no, that's, I mean, I feel like the more I get involved with um, critical role, the more I see like these fans who get really frustrated by really small things. Mm -hmm. And so I, in some ways I'm really surprised seeing how, um, how easy it is to love Ladna. I'm surprised to hear that from yeah. past campaigns because um, just from what I've seen, I never really had an issue with it. The only thing from, from campaign two was for me, it was just being unfamiliar with the monk class. She played yeah. a monk, pretty sure. Right. Yeah. Um, so that was my only like disconnectedness was like, I don't really know this class. I'm not familiar with it. And so, um, but yeah, I, I think other than like her dialogue is amazing. I mean, she's so great and engaging. But there's also these like key characteristics that are just um they're interesting and they're fun. Like, oh, Ladna's an amazing interior decorator. <laughs> you know, which <laughs> and like her comment in the first episode of like, I love kids. Yeah. You know, and it's like these things that are a bit um seem like almost like a bit of an oxymoron to her her um ghastly um origin. Mm -hmm. But uh but yeah, I mean it's it's she's a very enjoyable character to watch. Yeah, so. her and Travis as Bertrand, I feel like have done the best job of like adding this flavor with everything they do. Like she, they've they've really painted a picture each of them. Like you know, with her like ghastly movements she describes, and like you mm -hmm. know what her appearance is looking like whilst she's doing any number of things that she's doing is, um, it's just great. Um, and uh, 
speaking of, I, I feel like this is kind of a random segue here, but it feels like it might fit nicely. Shout out again to Robbie, who's just been, this is his first ever D&D character. Second campaign in a way, but same character. So first real still experience, I'd say. And he's just, he kills it. He's such a natural. And yeah. him, his moment in the episode with uh, deciding to like use his musician connections to go try to, you know, talk to the band. I was like, that's such a creative, clever, like just thing to do or try in D and D. And it's just, he had a few moments like that in EXU where I was just like, dang, I can't believe this is this dude's first time playing this game. Um, so we're, we're three episodes deep. Do you think he's a permanent addition? Cause I think what we've been discussing is that maybe he's semi-permanent. It's not even the right word, but like has an arc that's going to be told. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. For me, I just, I really, his, his place at the table feels so natural. It feels so normal. And the way he engages with other people at the table is pretty, pretty great. He's also had some awesome lines with people. Like, um, I can't remember what the context of the conversation, but he basically turns to Orem and says, you know, there's no debts between us or something yeah. to that effect. And it, yeah. it really called back um, the EXU friendship vibes that they had developed mm-hmm. and um which by the way orem when they're eating the cake orem said i only know pies yes Look, i was gonna bring for... that up too that was such a good callback <laughs> yeah. that's an that's an exu reference by the way it's from episode five um when they make it to by uh or episode four maybe i can't remember and um it's just basically he gets force fed so much pie and so yeah. that's that's where that reference comes from <laughs> by the way <laughs> that was great so but yeah, Dorian uh, is fantastic. Um, I, I would be down with it if he's a permanent addition. Yeah, I think I think everyone feels that way, which is pretty crazy when you think about it. That like with, you know, we've talked about fandoms and how people can be. But like with one is as, as like with passionate as fans is critical role. Like it wouldn't surprise me at all with like the first like possible permanent addition they add if like there was a lot of hate for this person like you know oh you know we don't want anybody new they don't fit but yeah, everyone protect- has loved robbie they're like they yeah. can stay so <laughs> i just speaks to his quality as a player and as a person um and here's what's mind-boggling is before exu he had never played dnd yeah so Crazy. i mean like that that is his natural affinity for it and um you know, and and I think beyond just like understanding the mechanics of the game, there's a, this other factor of how do you engage with the group? Like, how do you know when to step in and step back? And, right. you know, it's, it's, there's just as a, as a DM and you've been a DM, there's nothing worse than like someone sort of trying to, to take the stage and then someone else steps on that or steps into that moment or sort yeah. of ruins a special moment. And, we can see this experience playing out where, um, you know, Imogen and Bertrand are having their death scene and their dream sequence. And the rest of the group is just, they're, they're experiencing like we are. Um, and I think it takes, it takes a special awareness to Mm -hmm. understand like, when is it time for me to jump in and contribute? And when's it time for me to like, let someone have their moment. Um, the group does that phenomenally, but, um, Robbie has done that really well too, which again, I think speaks to his natural affinity for the game. Yeah. I mean, cause the rest of the table has had six to eight years of practice of sharing the table with each other. And that's right. They, they are very skilled at it. That's what makes critical role. So good is they're so good at sharing the spotlight and knowing when to like contribute to someone else's story versus, you know, kind of sinking back. So it is just 
very impressive that Robbie fits naturally with people that have been doing this for, you know, forever. Um, but to, to circle back to your original question, they still, there's been a lot of things that point to him being a guest for whatever that, whatever that term means. Like he hasn't been referred to as new permanent member. Like he has still been referred to as a special guest. So to me, that, that seems that he's at some point, maybe stepping away, maybe he'll come back as like a recurring guest and like certain arcs will not involve him maybe because of real life, you know, things that Robbie has going on as a professional, you know, actor and voice actor, um, or maybe for in story reasons. Uh, but just because they haven't come out and said it, like, I feel like they would have just come out and said it at this point, if he was like a permanent mm -hmm. addition to the table. Oh, and um, I'm, I'm thinking like the setup of the table. I mean, the camera's only so wide. Uh, it, it feels like nine is too many, right? I mean, maybe, I don't know. And so I, if I sometimes wonder is, is he also temporary for the fact that, um, him exiting would open the table for someone else to have a temporary arc, um, uh, which there's plenty of talent out there. There's plenty of people who'd probably be great side characters. And so I, I, I would, I would understand him moving on for the sake of them wanting to get other people, um, to guest star. Yeah. Um, I could see that. I don't necessarily think that would be like the main reason they wouldn't permanize him, but, sure. uh, cause like in campaign one, they've had back. I mean, they are way more advanced now. They have their own table back in campaign one. They were using like those white fold out tables and just, you know, all cluttered there. And they had multiple guests at like, uh, like they had two guests on at once. Um, yeah. Okay. So I, I'm pretty sure like, I doubt that would be the limiting constraint. Cause I'm sure they thought about all this when they were designing the set. Like what if we wanted to have three guests on an episode? Like, yeah, it might be a little <laughs> scrunched, but I mean, the I'm sure the production <laughs> could figure it out, you know? Yeah. Marisha's sweating. We can't do this <laughs> in the set. <laughs> but yeah, so. I mean, so I, I hope he's here for a long time. But yeah. I guess it still remains to be seen. Uh, yeah. Well, we we still have a lot that I want to talk about. I don't yeah. know if you have a, quite a few things you want to talk about. And so, if you're okay with leaving the Dorian conversation, um, yeah, yeah, I'd I'd love to talk about what happened in the suite in the room. Um, who's this dwarven figure? This yeah. seemingly roguish character. Um. You know, the Shade Creepers, who we find out that um, Ladna and Imogen have had an interaction with before. It's kind of right. like, an oh, that's a detail that mm -hmm. we didn't realize. But that they were different. They had red eyes instead of the dark, pupilless, hollow eyes um, that we see with the, the the dwarf's entourage, I guess. Right. What What's happening? What, who was this guy? You know, give me your your first take on this. I have no idea. I mean, I originally, while it was happening, I assumed Ivory Syndicate, but then, you know, we go to Esteros's and he kind of is like, that doesn't sound like the Ivory Syndicate. Right. So I have no idea who this may be. And these creatures, they, he called them his children. I don't know if that was just like a creepy villain thing to say, or if there is some sort of like, did he create them somehow? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. And I also, was wondering do you think the the shadow creepers were the because you know when fcg went by the room he thought he heard nine to ten thinking creatures in there do you think those were the things that were being pinged or were there even more I, humanoids you know, i actually wondered if like the dwarf was like 
multiple personality or something because mm. um when liam goes toe to toe with them he says like yeah you're like you're with me and the dwarf does his quadruple attack you know that you know it just like crushes him and then says yes us and so i was like oh this is like a you know we are many type type we dude. are legion yeah yeah we are legion <laughs> and then uh then those the shade creepers popped out um so for me it makes more sense that they were like the because he said they detected like thinking creatures mm-hmm. uh or nine or ten entities and so that for me that's the best answer um i am curious though so we know that they seem to not be part of the ivory syndicate one detail that's interesting is i sort of interpreted this character as just like a one-off nefarious you know the person orchestrating like the smuggling of broomstone or what have you but going back to excuse me to imogen's dream the red massive storm rolling in and bertrand walking into it for me that connects this figure with some large nefarious plot uh, a larger faction or something that is going to be a a massive force at least Mm. temporarily and not just like a roguish thief who you know ah you (laughs) you've stumbled across my plan to smuggle this random resource you know yeah i mean i don't that was my interpretation i don't know if you've had similar thoughts yet about his origin no i agree that he's definitely more than just you know petty thief running the streets of uh drusar i didn't necessarily think there was a connection to him with the imagery and imogen's dream i obviously think the connection was you know bertrand dying and that was obviously intentional but like i don't think and i'm not sure if you were saying this but i'm not sure the storm represented the dwarf necessarily I yeah I am saying that I think not not that the storm is directly him but it's representative of what whatever he represents like okay. whatever he is part just of. like a danger approaches kind of yeah but uh but not just any danger like something because because Imogen's dream was almost it almost had like this foreshadowing vibe of like of like something's coming like not yeah, just it, any storm and so that's that's why I feel like it's it's this dwarf is there's a connectedness to something okay. bigger and badder that they might they're going to come across yeah okay Which, i agree i mean i agree that, that might then. be maybe that's redundant to say like i mean no when in dnd is <laughs> it like oh yeah you you foiled this random guy and you know i mean <laughs> naturally everything is always bigger and better and it leads to this and that and so I'm, i think i'm i'm probably being overly no you no. know saying what we all know but no i get what you're saying and yeah i agree because uh i think you know estros kind of alluded to these deeper and darker forces rising out of the jungles below Drusar. So maybe like the storm is kind of representative of whatever this dark encroaching thing is. And maybe the dwarf is, you know, in some part of that cog, that machinery of whatever this may be, um, which not to go too stretchy over here, but I wonder if it's even related to the things that were alluded to in EXU. Like we know this. I, yeah, I know, had the exact same thought. Go ahead. Yeah, but just so if, if you haven't seen EXU, um, I think we still Blake and I are still thinking about doing a separate video, kind of like yeah, we need to telling taking the relevant information from that if you didn't see it. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. But also we do have EXU recaps similar to the recaps we do for this. So feel free to check those out. Um, but in EXU, one of the main which there were a lot, <laughs> one of the main plot threads was this like 
<laughs> massive force like pushing through to Exandria from another plane of existence. And we were right. trying to figure out like what was going on there. So maybe maybe that's related to this darkness that's coming out of the jungle, this storm in Imogen's dream. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean you I don't wanna keep railing on about it. But yeah, there was <laughs> there there's there was a something implied that, you know, something's coming, you know, all through EXU. And um, it would almost make sense that similar there's a similar storyline in uh, in now in campaign three. Yeah. So. But unfortunately, I have nothing better to say about who that dwarf could be because I have no idea. I mean, I think a player to be revealed, I guess. Yeah. Which I, I wonder if he'll take uh, this is random, but I wonder if he'll take uh, Bertrand's gambler's blade. Ooh, interesting interesting yeah very interesting uh definitely seems like a formidable opponent though i mean um it almost you know casting the magical darkness was a really awesome effect uh, especially because in D circles it's considered to be like a very broken spell and so just getting it out there early on and like having the party engage with it i think i think it's, it's good it keeps the game fresh and realistic i guess but um it almost felt like if ashton I mean, Ashton wound it up, you know, wound it up his hammer and, you know, jacked this guy pretty hard. It was like yeah. something like maybe 20 or 30 points of damage. I think he had yeah. something called, Do I think he had dodge activated or something. So he took half damage. Oh, um, uh, the villain? Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, he, yeah. I think he is a rogue because you're right. He did uh, uncanny dodge, I believe, which you can use as a reaction to half damage. Yeah, yeah. Be, but he's able to do it twice, which was interesting. I didn't realize you could do it twice. I've never played a rogue, but having there was one in both the previous campaigns. I think you can do it like every turn on your reaction, but it uses your reaction. Maybe, yeah, maybe the next round had begun then. Because yeah. I was like, I was thinking maybe it was a reaction, but then he did it a second time. But it might have been the next round of combat. Right. But yeah, so I wonder if if the damage hadn't been laid out so heavily, if the party would have been in more dire circumstances. Um, because effectively this character used the darkness as cover to, to escape. escape. Yeah. Right. And um, I mean that Orem has done really well to sort of take attention. He's used his goading attack and has sort of been that tanky person. And to see him down so quickly, I think the party was all like, it's been one round. <laughs> Orem can't catch so, a break because Esteros laid him out in the in the previous yeah. episode too. Yeah. So but yeah, no, I, I, I'm really curious to see how this character continues to pop up and how soon we'll see him again. Yeah. I'm even curious how quickly they're going to find Bertrand, if they're going to find Bertrand. And, you know, are they going to, are they going to adopt a team name after him or? That, yeah. Um, I wanted I, to, I forgot to bring that up earlier. I was going to ask you, do you think like, I mean, especially, you know, he was during that tavern scene. You know, he was like, ah, we're the Bertrand Bells. And like, he kept saying stuff and they're like, no, old man. But I wonder if now they kind of will to honor him. Like, that'd be interesting. Yeah. I mean, I could get it if the relationship was a little bit more um, established. Like maybe if this was after like 20 episodes, I could see that being more of like a, like we have to in his honor. So I could see it going either way. Um, it would be interesting if they take some kind of name after him. Um, for me, like the naming side of it is always kind of fun. Um, and I know in EXU, they never really were able to land. Yeah, on couldn't one. get where, couldn't get one. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I guess we'll find out 
they're they have to they talked about in the in the tavern after the fact that they need to give Esteros a a name for the contract. So it seems yeah. like even even though Orem said you know it doesn't have to be permanent, so it opens the door up if they want to change it. But um, um, how did Vox Machina come about, by the way? So quick, quick critical role history lesson here. So the critical the critical role started. It was already a campaign. They were already playing at home. And then they were approached and decided to make it like a live stream show. So when we picked up with episode one of Critical Role campaign one on Twitch, it wasn't the start of their campaign. They'd already been playing for like a year plus. So they already had their name. So that didn't happen on, on screen for us. Yeah. But um, they were originally called the Super High Intensity Team, a.k.a. the Shits. Uh, first letter <laughs> of each one and they were like well we can't we probably shouldn't have our name be the shits if we're going to go live stream this on twitch so they changed it to vox machina um i don't really know like what how they arrived there necessarily but uh the show started with them already having that name yeah okay okay cool yeah well so we'll see what happens but um i have another thing i want to talk about unless you wanted to talk more about that um no, yeah, that that's pretty much it. But yeah, I think we found our first bad, you know, our first yeah. not necessarily the BBEG, but the first yeah. one. Yeah, which again, I don't know how often Matt tends to introduce big bads in his campaigns. Um but yeah, I thought it'd be cool to talk more details that we've continued to talk about things we've learned about characters individually, like the running yeah. narrative of each character. And also part of the fun is sort of figuring out these homebrew elements of mm -hmm. each character. And so um, I have a few different characters I want to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Um, Ladna, um, Ladna, Imogen, really, I guess almost everyone. <laughs> Let's just start with Ladna for a second. Okay. okay. Yeah. So we talked about how we think she's likely undead. We talked about that scene where Orem holds her hand and it's strangely cold. The random detail I wanted to mention about her was when she did her strength check, to pull open the door of the warehouse she rolled a 19 and she said 19 minus 3 so 16 and i immediately was like minus 3 i mean that would have to be like a 4 or a 5 or something for strength which you typically don't hear I mean, typically stats you don't see them lower than 8 if you're using like the standard array yeah and so that really threw me and then they had her character sheet pop up later and she does in fact only have a strength of 5 so that's those, just a random detail that those I, undead I bones are brittle, man. That's what I was that. Well, so that's, yeah, that's the thing is like, I thought, okay, yeah, maybe it's because she's undead. So it better reinforces that. Yeah. And I, when she did do that strength check, it was interesting that she like described like this dark pulsating energy, like kind of like enhanced her muscles. So it's right. Because I think Matt said her, arms like popped out of her sockets <laughs> yeah she something. always like i have to put my shoulder back in yeah and it's interesting though that dorian was able to do cure wounds on her so we talked about earlier like yeah. how does that mechanically work with like right. healing spells like because in some other um like games and movies and stuff like that um you know uh i'm trying to think of like the most easiest example uh there's a great rpg where like if your character's undead healing actually wounds them and they need poison to regenerate right um, but it seems like even though she is seemingly undead, she can still be the recipient of cure wounds or healing word or, or what. Yeah. Have you. Which makes sense. I mean, cause that would have been kind of a weird thing to navigate for an entire campaign of like, we got to fetch more poison to heal Laudna, you know? <laughs> um, 
but yeah, it's so, clunky. Like don't, Oh, don't cast it on me. So, right. So, uh, like I said, someone pointed out this hollow one subclass, which I think, uh, from what, most of what I've seen, that's what people seem to think she is. Um, I'm not like, I'm not super familiar with that. I did briefly look at it and it did seem to line up with most things that she's done. Um, but yeah, we, we still don't have the confirmation. So it wouldn't surprise me if there was, if it was like similar to that, but it was some sort of homebrew that her and Matt yeah, yeah. cooked okay. up. The other character is um, Ashton. So just more mechanics of his character. When he did the attack on um, the dwarf and um, he said, uh, yeah, what the heck? I'll just, I'll do a chaos burst or a chaos blast. I immediately got, having played a paladin heavily, I immediately got a vibe of Divine Smite, mm. which Divine Smite, you have a limited number of uses, but basically whenever you you land an attack, you can choose to do a 1d8 to do an extra 1d8 of damage. And so I almost wondered if this Chaos Burst is his homebrew uh you know, version of that yeah. where, and I think he even said like, yeah, I'm going to do lightning damage this time. Mm. Um, so I wonder if it's like a divine smite version uh, that, you know, and he did seven points of damage, I think, which lines up with like a one D eight. Yeah. And like I said, he changed the damage based on what he wanted. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I wonder if that's something happening there. Yeah. That's a great insight. I think that that might be kind of, not that it's the exact same, but that's a really good, parallel there that i could see that and was and correct me if i'm wrong there was a lot happening in that fight but he rolled a natural 20 on one of those attacks right that he did a ton mm -hmm. of damage with yeah did he did anything happen because he hit a 20 that's what i was trying to figure out if like he hit a 20 and so now he also got to um i thought he said chaos something but maybe i'm just confusing two things but i wasn't sure if like i think that's what i'm referring to when he said okay, okay. He, he like yeah let's throw a chaos burst in there too okay so um, yeah, I couldn't. So that that makes more sense if it's like a kind of akin to a divine smite. I didn't know if it was like because he rolled a twenty, he now yeah. gets to do whatever. That well, was. and with divine smite, you can wait. You can retroactively say like, okay, I'm going to use it. Um, like once you see it connect, once and so that okay. that's how I internalized it. Of that makes sense. Like, oh, natural twenty. Okay, yeah, let's go ahead and throw that in too. Yeah. Because no. was it, does it get doubled too? That I don't remember. Actually. I can't remember either. I don't think so. In divine smite's case. Yeah, the damage wasn't as high as I expected it, so I would think maybe not, but but maybe I'm not mm. sure actually. Yeah, and he once again did uh, did the cool like red and blue version of him um, himself or whatever. And I just I want to see the character sheet, man. I wonder if this yeah. subclass is going to be in uh, their new campaign book that's coming out soon. I bet it is. And he he almost described blue and red like wisps, and so I almost envisioned like gears turning and like this like sparking energy coming yeah. off that's kind of i thought he was describing it but i'm not sure yeah i think so that's, that's kind of the vibe i got almost like a like 3d glasses you know there's like the red version and the blue version and together that's kind yeah. of i'm imagining kind of like a weird effect like that sure sure um another character detail talking character sheets fresh cut grass he does his which i really like his take on the cleric by the way um, but he does transfer suffering. So Laudan takes 16 points of damage. He does transfer suffering, which seems to be this reaction, uh, to take eight points of damage. And then when he grappling hooks, one of the shade creepers, 
he tells Matt, I want to go ahead and take that eight. Uh, yeah. I want to take the eight and, hit points and channel it back into, yeah. which was, I, I, I couldn't tell if he was saying he was just taking eight of, of his own temporary hit points and doing that. Like if he can, you know, take some of his health and put it in, mm-hmm. or if he was taking the eight damage that he just absorbed and redirecting it, which the latter would be such a cool mechanic. <laughs> yeah. That's what's that, I mean, I was, I was assuming it's the latter as well, but yeah, that was just super cool. Uh, I wonder, again, we don't know how it works, but I wonder if he can just like store that transfer damage and as his action, release it or something. Cause think of like that could have a ton of potential, like in the future, like a, like a big fireball spell or something that he could have and then redirect. He's yeah, it's like a uh, Doctor Strange, you know, gobble the <laughs> gobble the bomb type what? thing. Um, yeah. So um, and then fresh cut grass in general, we got some more details about his original quest. You know, they're yeah. looking for a they're looking for the one eyed monster. <laughs> yeah. And then that... after it's like pirates. <laughs> yeah. So I was going to talk to you about that. So you know, we've we've kind of been wondering about is there more to that story that he revealed and. Uh, about his, you know, brothers and sisters all being killed, and you know, Ashton finds him. Seems like there's more there that's le- being left unsaid. Um, again, not that there's anything sinister there, but I did feel like with what we got revealed this episode of him inquiring about a certain creature or stuff, that okay, I guess to me that means okay, they really did get attacked by something, and he's trying to find out more about that something. Um, so it kind of dissuaded any like crazy theories of like Ashton being the one that, you know, destroyed his brothers and sisters or, you know, even FCG himself, maybe being yeah, the yeah. one to have done it. Um, so yeah, the, yeah, the one eyed creature very much reminded me of uh, what's that movie? Uh, the fugitive or not the, where he's like, yeah, I'm looking for the one armed man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, to me, that's just, you know, another, another breadcrumb trail that will, yeah, ultimately travel down at some point yeah and we got a breadcrumb about ashton too of you know his goal is to be free um and seemingly uh which by the way we had a great back and forth between you know fresh cut grass who's been like this very wholesome seemingly empathetic character being a kind of kind of came across as a bit judgmental towards the homeless man in the back of the the back alley um and ashton they had a great conversation about it and um you know, basically led to, well, Ashton, what do you want? And he said, I want to yeah. be free. I want to be able to go where I please. And he was like, can't you do that already? And he yeah. was like, no, because of, I have some debts that, you know, I have to deal with. Yeah, that was a great conversation. And, you know, they kind of, their differing viewpoints on that homeless drunk person where Ashton was like, they're already living their best life. And FCG's being like, you know, I don't think so. I think they have more potential than that. Right. And I was kind of getting more insight into his character about how, you know, he wants to help people find their potential and their happiness. Right. Um, but yeah, uh, definitely some interesting insight on Ashton. Cause so, we, so we know that he mentions the debt is kind of holding him back, which is, you know, why he's doing this for money. But also, like, there's some reputation issues, I think he mentioned that. Mm. And specifically, there was when he goes and talks to Milo and, you know, gives him the money to find out uh, about Esteros, uh, there is a she that is mentioned between Milo and Ashton. He's like, is this yes. about her? And he's like, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. It's not related to that. And he's like, is she back in town or something right. like that? I forgot about that. So I wonder what's going on there. Maybe like one of these 
people he's in debt to is this woman and well it even said don't let her find out yeah and it, and i don't know if the, this piece of information is related to that directly or not but you know he mentions like i got a new crew so maybe like she was part of this his old crew or maybe she yeah, was like okay. the one who gave yeah, jobs point. to the old crew right um i'm trying to find my exact notes on this part but i'm mm. just wondering like you know what's going on there is mm. that is that who he's indebted to it seems to be like not scared of her but you know definitely weary mm -hmm. yeah yeah for sure yeah i'm loving the breadcrumbs every episode um i didn't catch the name either for imogen's dream but basically said you're back home in and he said the name of the place but i i missed it yeah. there's so much there so i wrote Did it down but i couldn't okay. hear it so i just wrote down what i thought i heard the hidden village jadon okay that's, that's probably right, not so it, that's probably so not, it's not even like it. a by road and like a name that was like oh that place so yeah. it seems like it's a has not been mentioned before in critical role yes i think so and okay. the it's definitely not what I just jilled on. That's what I have written down. That's not it. But the important part there <laughs> is Hidden Village. It, but it's not it. Hidden yeah. Village was interesting. And it made me wonder yeah. if it was somehow similar to the hidden cities we got introduced to in EXU. Oh, if it was at all, yeah. not that it was the same one, but maybe if it was like a similar thing. Which I don't, yeah. I can't remember the name of that off the top of my head. Do you know from EXU, the hidden? Yeah. The hidden thing. It was no, I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, me neither. But yeah. um, one other we've, thing. We've... That... Sorry, go ahead. No, I just was looking at my notes. One other thing about the the mysterious woman that Ashton was talking about. One thing Milo said is go for the shoulder next time, and I just that stuck out to me. It kind of reminded me of like Thanos. You should have gone for the head. So I just mm -hmm. wondered what like. He also mentioned that one of the things he's gotten in trouble with is like hitting people with his hammer when he loses his rage. Like, I wonder if he attacked her and that's why they have this like bad blood between them now or something. Well, I think he said go for the shoulder because he had a nosebleed. Oh, you think the... he was referring to himself? Yeah, yeah. Oh. He was saying like, hey, next time just, you know, throw the coin at my shoulder and not my face. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> Beautiful theory, though. I really... That makes more sense. Just you really wait. appreciate it. We're going we're to cut back to this moment and be like, <laughs> vindicated. <laughs> though we'll I will say, uh, Matt's tweet about Travis's real character, how it's going to be a, in all caps, blast when the paths cross. I thought, is this, is this some kind of hint? Some kind of clue? Ooh. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, we, ha we haven't really touched on that even though we talked about travis earlier is about his new character like you know i think in the first episode we mentioned what if it was the person orum's looking for right yeah. um which that would make sense and kind of you know doesn't mean it doesn't mean travis's new character is going to be in next week's episode it might take them a couple weeks to get to that point but that is something that's already kind of like laid out in front of us that would make sense mm -hmm. um I, I i don't know i just can't wait to to find out who he is, how he's going to interact, and uh, what class he is as well. Mm -hmm. There's some interesting gaps in what the party kind of needs. Yes. Yeah. Um, they don't have a rogue. They don't have a paladin. Not that they need. I mean, not that they need anything in particular. But um, it's very high charisma group. Yeah, it is. So I wonder if there will be uh, the like the other type of caster if he goes that way. Uh, is it? Yeah. 
wisdom or intelligence that it, it warlocks wisdom and uh i think mage is intelligence okay we're gonna get in trouble now if that's wrong yeah <laughs> someone in the comments i can't believe you didn't know this <laughs> but yeah, yeah so i wonder i just wonder what he's gonna be you got any guesses or theories uh i mean i think a rogue's a really big uh gap um but i think what's cool about about um critical role is they always seem to have a class that is either homebrewed or um, not typical. And we already have that so far with um, Ashton and Fresh Cut Grass. I mean, everyone has like their homebrew flavor, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if we just saw something like, um, what was Taliesin's character um, in Campaign 2? A Blood Hunter? Uh, yeah, the Blood Hunter. I, I'm curious if we're going to see something super, cool. you know, um, super homebrewed. Um, yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw something like that too. Yeah, so one like recurring thing with Travis is that he loves werewolves. So I've saw some people saying like, "What if he? What if his character is a werewolf this time around?" And it was funny that we got the kind of like illusion when uh, Bertrand was talking about his past exploits. He was like, "Yeah, the Whispering Werewolf of the West," or it wasn't that, but something like that, and talking about how he took that down. Uh, I don't know if he would make that type of illusion if then his character was going to be one, but. Uh, yeah, okay. I just thought that was funny because, like I said, Travis yeah. loves werewolves. Um, okay. So I would love to see if he actually was one for the campaign, but we'll yeah. we'll see. Well, do you have anything else you wanna you wanna talk about, or do we wanna wrap this up? Um, let me check really quick. I mean, I think we hit most of the things. Um, well, while you're looking, um, this is part. Of, well, maybe we'll have like a pronounced version of this every episode since we're getting so many comments now, but um while you're looking i thought it'd be good just to go to the comments and point out any insights that our viewers and listeners mm. picked up and added yeah. you know questions that we had ourselves yeah so um and apologies by the way uh, we didn't prep this in advance and just have it up and thought it was, there were some good insights here so um a couple of things uh uh a guy by the name of jm does mention we talked um you know do barbarians have different kinds of rages and he says there are definitely different types of, of barbarians that, have, that can have various effects when they rage. Barbarians' path of wild magic immediately comes to mind where at level three they can wild surge and have eight different effects that can happen when they rage. Um, I suspect cool. that Ashton is a homebrew with some influence from this type of subclass of barbarian. Again, that was JM, which I thought was a great insight. A yeah. um, couple others that popped out to me. Um, Jeremy said that some clarifications on the telepathic feat, which we were talking about, like, is this a feat? Is this some kind of variant of um, a race or class? And said the feat, aside from the stat bonus, allows you to speak to someone you can see within 60 feet. As long as you speak the same language, it has infinite uses, but limited capacity. And it also lets you cast detect thoughts once per day without consuming a spell slot, which lines up with matt's comment on are you using it as a spell slot yeah or not um and then the last one that i wanted to mention was um uh i don't know i don't know where it was actually so <laughs> those were the two though that i thought oh, okay those are those are great insights that i want to mention for yeah um, for the context of, and plenty of other comments, by the way, on like people's theories, thoughts that were all really great. But I think those couple of details helps answer some questions that you and I had of, of like, okay, how's this working mechanically? Right. And I like this idea for a segment. Um, I'll definitely maybe like try to 
figure out some specific ones to, to talk about as well, but don't have that prepared at the moment. Uh, but shout out everyone that comments and stuff. We love it. Like, thanks for interacting with us. We love to hear your theories. We love to hear your corrections because, you know, we we get a lot of stuff wrong. Um, oh, yeah. We're but, just two two dudes who love D&D. That's so. right. <laughs> Doing the best we can. <laughs> so, yeah, please continue to hit us there. Um, I did... Uh, I was looking through my notes. The only this isn't even important, but one thing I did uh, notice was the the woman that uh, Imogen and Laudna are staying with, uh, Shadana, Shadana or something like that. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting that when uh, Imogen in the last episode, when you know she was trying to enter the textiles place and making up that lie about like you know oh i work for madam shadana that's the name she said so it's just interesting to me that like i don't think there's anything there i think that was just that's the name that came to her head but like that's kind of she might get that lady killed if she keeps like using her actual name in these lies and stuff like that so well i mean so far they're 0 for 2 on keeping people alive so <laughs> yeah you know uh danis is dead and now dorian has not um did not get the old man to his room in one piece. I know. I can't wait yeah. to see the how he reacts to that, him specifically, since he was, yeah. you know, not that it's his fault in any shape or form, but, you know, he right. was the last one with him. Um, and there was even actually some dialogue in the party of like, is Danis dead because of us? And the party seemed kind of split of like, yeah, like we we caused this by, you know, basically showing up at the warehouse. And then Ashton had a different response of um, no, like she was in an, in a bad way and bad things happen. It's just how it is. Yeah. I liked the moral like dissection of a few different parts of the episode, that one in particular. And then also I think Esteros asked them like, is this, I, I don't remember what he said, but he was like asking them about like, is this how you wanted it to go? Or like, do you wish you could have saved her? It was something like that. And so I liked that they were kind of like mm -hmm. dissecting, Which, like, you by know, the way, I loved after their, dessert with him when they were leaving where <laughs> Imogen goes that was sure was weird eating that in front of Danis's yeah. dead body <laughs> and then Matt clarified like oh no we took no, the body she got away. taken away yeah but I just envisioned them all like so <laughs> you know, she just lays there no that but, was great I want some carrot right. cake yeah definitely I was hungry actually I whipped out some Halloween sweets while I was watching at the end but very nice Great episode, phenomenal episode, and uh, longer episode for us today. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. It's great stuff. So we just got to do our thumbnail. Yeah. Um, hmm. I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking just. I'm thinking just the shock. The the shock thumbnail is always a good one for. Oh. You know what happened. Yeah. All right. That's fair. So, okay. You ready? Yeah. All right. <laughs> nice cool well for those of you guys listening definitely let us know in the comments your theories thoughts even corrections on things maybe we missed or got wrong we want to hear about it talk to you about it don't forget we're on twitter at the pixelus again that's at the pixelus and uh also this podcast is actually coming to an actual podcast format Ooh. in the near future you'll be able to find it literally anywhere you listen to podcasts so apple Podcasts, spotify where what have you and uh, we'll let you know when that's up and running. Yeah. Oh, and not to be the classic YouTube person, but do us a favor. Like and subscribe. It helps us out. Helps more critters find us. You know, we can build our discussion theory crafting family. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. So having said all that, see ya. See y'all next week.